It's time for Shattered Soulstone. Featuring the latest news from Sanctuary and beyond. Each episode, a heroic party of Nephilim band together to help keep you informed on everything in the Diablo universe. And now, your Diablo Community Podcast. Coming to you from somewhere in Sanctuary, this is episode 418 of Shattered Soulstone, your Diablo Community Podcast. This episode is called Malignant Blood. It is July 7, 2023, and this is Jen. I'm going to start off with an article here from Inverse that I learned about from Red October, who put it into the Shattered Soulstone Discord for me to check out. He had a, another video in there talking about some of this here as well. And I figured it's easier for me to just talk through the part of the article here that makes sense um, instead of giving you a video because it's kind of hard to do, you know, to really describe the whole like really long video in, in one of these episodes. So this is from Inverse and it's titled Apple's Secret Weapon to Getting PC Games on Mac. It's the best thing to happen to Mac gaming in 30 years, says the writer Christina Warren. So I'm going to skip over some of this stuff and go right into the important parts here or the stuff that at least... Makes it easier to understand. Buried in the keynote was a Mac OS feature that Apple should have called out with more fanfare, DirectX 12 support for Mac OS. As PC gamers already know, this software support means the floodgates are open for some real games, not that casual Apple Arcade stuff on Mac. Maybe, just maybe, this is the beginning of the end to the old joke that Macs can't play AAA games. It turns out that Apple added DirectX 12 support via something it is calling the Game Porting Toolkit a tool Apple is offering to developers, key phrase there, to developers, to see how their existing x86 DirectX 12 games work on Macs powered by Apple Silicon. That toolkit largely takes place as a 20,000 line of code patch to Wine, a compatibility layer designed to bring support for Windows games to platforms such as Linux, BSD, and Mac OS. Wine, which is primarily supported by the company Code Weavers, which also makes a commercial version called Crossover, works by converting system calls made to Apple, sorry, made to Windows APIs into calls that can be used by other operating systems. It isn't emulation, but translation, an important semantic difference, said this writer. Although Wine and Crossover have existed as a way to bring PC games to the Mac for quite some time, the Apple Silicon transition has been difficult on the project. Rosetta 2, the compatibility layer built into Mac OS to seamlessly convert x86 Mac OS APIs, parentheses Intel, end of parentheses, into ARM64 Mac OS APIs, Apple Silicon, works with Wine slash Crossover, but the performance impact of translating one system call to another on top of a compatibility layer that is designed to translate one architecture type to another is not insignificant. DirectX 12 support within the game porting toolkit skips right over all of these translations with zero need to modify any code, any game code. Games such as Grand Theft Auto 4, Diablo 4, Cyberpunk 2077, and Hogwarts Legacy, if you want to play that, can now run on Apple Silicon Macs almost, almost as if they're native. 
Naturally and quicker than anyone expected, enthusiasts and game developers started to try out the new toolkit. There's YouTube videos, uh, Reddit posts. I guess Reddit's back. I know it kind of crashed and burned for a while. Uh, Mac gaming wikis have been showing busy showing off some truly remarkable results on machines that just days earlier were utterly unable to play AAA titles. Um, and then you could do it on a, an M2 Max. Uh, Diablo 4 runs close to 90 FPS on ultra settings as its default resolution on a 14-inch MacBook Pro. I think the thing to keep in mind here is that this is not telling Mac users like me, hey, you can play Diablo 4 right on your Mac. It's fine. You can totally do that. I don't think that's what they're saying. I think what's really coming through with this is that there is the potential for the Mac to be able to play some of these games on it. That doesn't mean now, and it doesn't mean it's going to work for all of those games. But it's a thing, I guess, um, that people can you know take a look at if they want to and, and all of this stuff. But I kind of feel like a lot of people are going to read that headline and be like, oh yeah, I can totally play D4 on my Mac now, because it sure as heck doesn't run on a Mac at this point in time that we know of. That's why I have an Xbox to play the game. But... This was interesting. Um, I think this is a topic that I've seen uh, on social media, people talking about and wondering if this is actually true that we could just, you know, play a game on our Macs like other people can on PCs. But I don't think that's quite it yet. From the video that Red October showed me, and I forget what that was, it might have been Twit. It's not here to say, hey, all you gamers, this is your salvation. You can just go ahead and put all of these things on your, on your Mac and it's going to be just fine. Because it's designed for, like, it sounds like what Apple really wants this to be used for right now, at least, is people who make games, you know, developers and all of that stuff. If they want to see what their game is going to look like and, you know, how well it works on the, on the Mac... That's for them to test it out primarily so they can look at this and be like, wow, you know, this game runs great on a PC, but it really kind of doesn't work so good on uh, Mac OS. So what the, the concept hopefully from Apple was, okay, so your game doesn't run on Macs. What can you do to make that happen? We've got some better capability now. How about you give that a try? And my best guess is that the developers and the whatever company the developers are working with is going to be like, nah, too much work. That's what I think is going to happen. I hope I'm wrong, but that's my take on this at this moment. Moving ahead, we're going to go with a bunch of different Blizz Tracker things having to do with Diablo 4. And Pez Radar is the community manager that tends to post these things. These are from four hours ago. I'll read you the big stuff here because some of it's you know, little, little notes and some are a little bit bigger. So here's one about bug fixes that was issued today. Fixed an issue where uber unique items had an unintended higher chance to drop from Helltide chests. Developers note, with the above change, we have re-enabled uber unique drops in Diablo 4. In total, we have discovered that only 142 accounts obtained an Uber Unique between the launch of 1.0.4 and when we disabled Uber Unique items from the game on the evening of July 6th. We do not plan on removing these items from the accounts. In the future, we may need to take action to maintain fairness within the game when a bug or exploit impacts the gameplay of others. And then with the gameplay changes, it says this. Helltide chests will now have the chance to drop any unique and not be 
be restricted to specific item slot limitations from any chest. Developers note, with the above change, players will now be able to find unique items from all Helltide chests. Uber unique items also have a chance to be found from all chests. And then we have the necromancer changes. And I think these are going to irritate people who are like totally maining the necromancer. So here's what was written also today on July 7th. Class changes necromancer. Enhanced blood lance now pierces up to a maximum of 10 enemies. Followed by aspect of hungry blood now fires up to a maximum of three blood lances per cast. Developers note. This is indeed a nerf to Bloodlance, but Bloodlance has been so good for necromancers that it has been crashing the game, exclamation point. This is a temporary solve while the team reworks the way the legendary aspect will function, and we expect this change sometime in season one or shortly after. There's also a gameplay change. The first Whisper Cache you acquire will now always grant a Nightmare Sigil. And then they had some stability issues that they worked on. There's also, um, I think it's, yeah, I think this was written about previous, but then this is like the most recent changes to this and the descriptions for it. There is also a website called Diablo 4 Patch Notes at blizzard.com. You can check it out whenever you want. This one was um, last updated on July 6th. So here are some things that happened then. These are bug fixes for gameplay. And this is on all platforms. PC, console, whole thing. So here's, here's a whole list of what they've been doing on that. Fixed an issue where the damage multiplier for enhanced frozen orb wasn't applying correctly. Fixed an issue where enemies with the vortex affix would deal damage through immunity. Fixed an issue where the elixir of expertise was reducing resource cost by 10% instead of the displayed 20% value. Fixed an issue where the damage bonus from the Paragon Subdue Glyph would be applied to any target instead of only to vulnerable targets. Fixed an issue where the Barbarian's Whirlwind ability would briefly stop channeling when a cooldown skill was cast while using it. Fixed an issue where the guaranteed overpower buff from the Barbarian's Earth Strikers aspect would be, would be consumed upon gaining any other buff. Fixed an issue where the player character would freeze when using the Rogue's Shadow Step skill if used outside the range of your or intended target. Fixed an issue where the player could not rotate when casting a channeled skill if using a one-hand weapon with no offhand item equipped. Fixed an issue where the cursed souls in Fields of Hatred had a lower cooldown than the displayed five-minute cooldown. Fixed an issue where aspects that deal flat damage imprinted through the Codex of Power scaled with player level instead of item power. Fixed an issue where the Necromancer's Shadow Mages weren't applying extra shadow damage through the Shadow Blight's key passive. Fixed an issue where cheat death effects would not trigger if you died while mounted. <laughs> I guess you can do that. Uh, rare items that are guaranteed drops from specific rare enemies have had their sale price increased so that their reroll price will also be closer to the items of similar strength. These items will still generally have a lower sell value and inherently reroll cost than other rare items of similar item power. These items are also now no longer a guaranteed drop and have been adjusted to a 33% going forward. Fixed an issue where the Elixir of Expertise tooltip was incorrectly showcasing a resource reduction of 20% instead of the intended 10%, which it has always been. There's also some stuffs with quests and dungeons, so I'll just go over those really quick. 
fixed an issue where the mother's judgment enemy would spawn before the player entered the encounter during the Whispers from the Past quest, fixed multiple issues where quest progress would be blocked if the player used a town portal during specific sequences, fixed various other issues that prevented progression for multiple quests, doesn't say which ones, fixed an issue where the Forgotten Depths dungeon had one fewer prisoner to release than intended, that's a thing. I haven't done that one yet, but generally speaking with the Diablo games, if you are trying to release prisoners from something, there is generally a certain number that you need to do. In Diablo 3, there was that whole area with people in cages and you had to like fight baddies for that and then let them all out. You didn't have to let them all out, but you probably should have. Um, so that's probably something like this. So if you have to release, like if the countdown is release five prisoners and there's only four... I can see where that's going to be a problem, you know? All right, a couple more. Fixed an issue where teleporting to, uh, oh, how do I say this? Uh, Wenjinhani during the Witch of the Wastes quest would force the player to drop the vial of Quicksilver despite the town being in an, air, an allowed area for the quest. Fixed an issue where the Cultist's Refuge, Howling Warren, and Luban's Rest dungeons couldn't be completed if the Butcher appeared and was not killed. Fixed an issue where Treasure Goblins slain in a Nightmare Dungeon with the Death Pulse Affix would deal significantly more damage than intended with its post-death explosion. And fixed an issue where the Mirage Quest couldn't be properly completed. There's some UI stuff in here and some other little things going on. Fixed an issue where players could lure the Seething Abomination boss in the Alzuda Fields of Hatred zone to a location where they could damage it, but it couldn't damage them. <laughs> okay, that's clever. <laughs> that's a clever thing there. We've also got a couple of tweets here from Joe Shelley, who is the designer at Blizzard Entertainment on Diablo. This is on his personal Twitter account, and he wrote this on July 5th. We engineered target lock RS for Diablo 4 controller players to automatically select a nearby target when your locked target dies, even if you are not facing in that direction. Try holding the left stick in the direction you want to move while tapping your attacks to stutter step. You can also enable persist target lock in the accessibility options if you want to target lock to stay active between if you want target lock to stay active between enemy encounters and there's a button here and it says uh, persist target lock and you just click the box and your character will do that. So I think I'm going to try it when I play again. There's an article here on IGN called How Diablo 4's Story Breaks Free from Its Past. The Diablo 4 team set out to, quote, recast the die, end quote. And this is written by Kazuma Hashimoto. I'll read you a little bit of this because it's a bit long and it's got a bunch of cool stuff in here. You might want to read it. Everything I talk about in this episode will be in the show notes at ShatteredSoulStone.com the same day that you'll see it as soon as the this episode comes up. The Diablo series has made a return through the release of Diablo 4, an entirely new entry in the series. It takes place some 50 years after the end of Diablo 3 and introduces a, ca a new cast of characters and a new antagonist. Story and narrative producer Melissa Corning, senior quest designer Greg Greg Zorgs, 
Sadinsky, associate game producer Kelly Yeo, and art director John Muller took the opportunity to sit down with IGN and share information about the narrative, art direction, and how the team conceptualized this entry's antagonist, Lilith. Art director John Muller shared what the key visual inspirations were for Diablo 4's overall art direction, and that it traces back to a trip to the Louvre when he was young. Theodore Jericho's The Raft of the Medusa was the painting in question, stating that it helped create Diablo 4's more classical approach in how it portrays Lilith in Anarius. Lilith in Anarius. Maybe that's a typo. Uh, while Yeo shared that these inspirations served as a broader message of humanity's struggle against odds they can't control, a proverbial eternal conflict brought to life in the Diablo universe. And there's a picture of this painting in there. Uh, it's uh, Jean-Louis Theodore Gericault, and it is the Raft of the Medusa, and there are uh, way too many people trying to stay aboard this raft, and some of them look like they're dying or have died, bodies everywhere, this sort of thing. It's, yeah. The visceral nature of Caravaggio was also mentioned as a key inspiration for how they chose to approach contrast within the visual elements of the game itself. So if you're an art nerd like me, this is probably interesting. If not, maybe skip ahead. Um, I don't know. I just like to see where they find inspiration. And how Albert Bierstadt's work helped inform the environments of the game. When asked if the art direction of the game was done as a deliberate choice in response to criticism of Diablo 3, Muller elaborated and stated that each Diablo game has its own core visual identity entangled with the different stories found within Sanctuary, and Diablo 4's art direction reflective of the narrative of this team wanted to tell. Quote, I think that each of the games, I would say it's a lens in which you view the world of Sanctuary. All of Diablo 1 through 3 all view Diablo differently and treat Diablo differently. And that's the beauty of making a numbered sequel, that you get to recast the die. But very early on, we had this commitment to fulfilling the promise of Diablo 4 being a dark gothic fantasy, end quote. While Diablo 4 is most certainly its own narrative, it doesn't hesitate to calling back to previous games for character archetypes or even bosses. Lorith Nar, it's Lorith Nath, isn't it? Uh, who, who, yeah, who first appeared in Reaper of Souls and Narelle are two major characters that end up hearkening back to Deckard Cain. And Leah, who appeared in Diablo 3, only to become an unfortunate sacrifice to bring back the primeval. There's a lot of story behind that. Much of Diablo 4's narrative in general seemed to pull from past ideas, perhaps to use as hallmarks of the growing franchise. But when it came to the discussion of Narelle, a new character brought into the fold and her potentially being seen as an attempt to correct the narrative pitfalls concerning Leah in Diablo 3, particularly how her character becomes a plot device to bring back Diablo as a boss fight, I hope I'm not giving y'all any spoilers here. Uh, senior quest designer Gregors Sadinsky said, quote, we want to make sure that each character has their own motivations, aspirations, and the character journey they go through without relying on repeating something. And there's a lot more in this article for you to check out, but I just thought it was interesting where they got their inspiration from and what they're trying to do with some of these characters. Kotaku has an article titled, Diablo 4 players are following rats to find good loot. A cult of rat followers is sweeping through Diablo 4 community, the Diablo 4 community, sorry, and they promise cheese and good loot. So here's a picture of a little rat and it is standing up on its back legs. It looks as though its little front arms and its nose are holding on to 
a rectangular square that shows the ring of Mendelin, a unique ring, cool resistance, shadow resistance, all this other stuff. And it's from Mendelin, Mendelin Oldumed. If you haven't read, uh, if I'm saying that right, I think it is, or Diomed. Um, if you haven't read the, the Sin Wars trilogy, go read that and you'll learn more about Mendelin. So this was written by Claire Jackson. And she wrote this, It was inevitable. Here I am, scouring a dark dungeon filled with ghastly horrors that can easily overwhelm me in number. I'm here for a purpose, a small step on my path to glory. My foes will be vanquished. I will emerge from this dark pit of misery, a stronger woman than I was entering it. Or I'll just chase rats around, because maybe they know where the cool shit is. Diablo 4 is a game that's all about chasing power and earning cool loot. Every activity you partake in will result in any number of possible loot drops, some of which might be crap, others might be okay, and some might be marginally better than what you currently have, and a rare few might be a massive improvement over your present gear. Diablo 4's loot distribution is often based on chance, so you never really know what you're going to get. But recently, Diablo 4 players have become convinced that following rats around dungeons will lead them to good gear. Whether this is a secret mechanic of Diablo 4 or just a random set of events that human beings are ascribing patterns to is difficult to discern, but the rats are certainly earning some followers. There's a Reddit post that's simply called, I followed the rats with a screenshot of the Ring of Mendelin, which is at the top of this Kotaku article. Uh, one of the best pieces of unique gear for necromancers is one of the latest pieces of evidence in the growing conspiracy theory that believes rats to be secretive, whisker-wearing loot muses who are eager to lead players to successful loot drops. This is hysterical. <laughs> this is absolutely hysterical. And there's more in here about the rats as well. I have never followed the rats in Diablo 4 because I just didn't see any reason to, but uh, maybe I'll give it a try if I'm not doing well with loot, you know? Why not? It can't hurt. There's also something about snakes in here. So rats might lead you to loot, but don't trust other creepy crawlies. But of course, rats aren't the only creatures moseying about dungeons. There are also snakes, and if Reddit is to be believed, one should not place any trust in them. Quote, I see a snake and follow the snake, reads one such account. The snake was evil. It was a trap. I ran into a one-way. I am sorry to have doubted the might rats. It, would not it will not happen again. The comment continues, since many are not believers, here is a screenshot of the snake that tried to trap me. In all caps, it says, don't trust snakes, with two exclamation points behind that. And there is a link to um, whatever thing they put into what they were trying to show people with the screenshots. That's hysterical to me, but maybe I'll follow some rats. I don't know. I'll let you know if it works. It might. It might not. I don't know. Blizzard has a Diablo Immortal post titled Introducing the Newest Diablo Immortal Class, Blood Knight, which just seems about right <laughs> for right now. Uh, this was posted yesterday. So here's a little bit about the Blood Knight. Out of the shadows that cling so desperately to sanctuary steps and a cursed ally, the Blood Knight, beginning July 13, you can play as this elegantly dark class in Diablo Immortal. In the meantime, browse this article's contents for a showcase of the Blood Knight's origin, skills, legendary items, and more. The Blood Knight is a mid-range class with hybrid attack options that are either melee or ranged depending on your proximity to the target. 
This vanquisher of vampires feeds on enemies' life, entraps them in deadly shadows summoned with cursed strength, and relies on their trusty polearm to maintain distance from danger. And if all else fails, they may just succumb to the holy abomination within themselves that's vying for control of their humanity. There's a video in here about that. If you're on Twitter, you may have seen it. The release of The Blood Knight marks a special moment for the Diablo universe as it is the first new class since the release of The Crusader in 2014. You remember that? You remember doing the beta for that one? I did that. It was actually kind of fun. We are extremely proud to offer you the opportunity to harvest the blood of demons to your benefit. Your continued support and love for Diablo Immortal is something this moment couldn't be achieved without. Thank you. On July 11, we will release a content update which will announce everything else releasing alongside the Blood Knight on July 13. So there's that. Uh, there's a little bit of lore in here um, and a really neat picture <laughs> of the Blood Knight. Suspended in limbo, the tragic origins of Blood Knights, according to tomes quilled by sanctuary scribes centuries ago. The first Blood Knight was a man named Furnum. He was assigned to protect a lord in the city of Gaea Cull, who was infatuated with vampires and their immortality. One day a vampire imprisoned in the lord's keep broke free killed the lord and gravely wounded Furnum during escape. Fortunately, the lord's top mage, a premier scholar on the subject of vampirism, had performed a ritual on Furnum to stop the spread before he was transformed into a feral, mindless thrall. The mage was successful in keeping him alive, but instead of granting immortality, Furnum unexpectedly inherited some of the vampire's power. The mage had been mortally wounded in the scuffle and with his dying breath taught Furnum how to perform the ritual that saved his life. At any moment, Furnum could succumb to his newfound darkness and transform indefinitely into a vampiric thrall, the destiny all blood knights must grapple with. After cheating fate, Furnum took his lord's wealth and moved into the catacombs below the deep. This would become the first training ground for future blood knights. He passed on knowledge of the curse-suspending ritual that saved his life along the way of his preferred weapon, the polearm, along with the way, Mr. Word. Today, the ranks of the blood knights have grown from solely Furnum. Blood knights use their power to, to locate bite victims and perform the ritual on them before they fully transform into a thrall. But the swiftness at which the curse takes hold often claims the life of the afflicted before the saving ritual can be performed. In keeping with sacred tradition, blood knights offer the afflicted a choice. Take Furnum's pledge in blood, all that remains of my life, weighed against the darkness, or meet a merciful end by polearm. Furnum himself has mysteriously disappeared, and has since been replaced by an even-handed council of blood knights who maintain the lifeblood of their order and work tirelessly to stockpile magical artifacts. While blood knights prefer to exist in the shadows, the order was shown a series of visions by an artifact depicting the cataclysmic potential of the world stone. The blood knights refuse to relegate sanctuary to their own doomed fate. It is their home too, and they will fight till the bitter end of it. They must. So you can be a blood knight. Um, starting on January 13, 
Uh, create a new character and select Blood Knight class. There's customization options in there. Using the new and improved class change, you can transfer your character from its existing class to the Blood Knight. We're removing the class change cooldown for the first three weeks after the Blood Knight's release, so everyone has a chance to harvest blood to become an abomination. Enter the Crimson Plane, a three-week-long event like the Fractured Plane, but everyone plays as the Blood Knight. You'll earn a Blood Knight cosmetic and legendary items from completing it. More about this will appear on July 11. Uh, there's some attack skills in here you can take a look at if this is your thing. I might give it a try. I'm mostly spending my time in Diablo 4, though, so I don't know. But it sounds fun. And then this this might be the most interesting thing I tell you in here, at least from my perspective. This is from Wowhead. And the article was posted five days ago by Jez Artros. Here is the title. Players have translated the Cathedral of Light script and it's all werewolves. And there's this close-up of the priest's hands in Nevesk with like this biblical looking book. And it's got the uh, symbol of Anarius in there and a couple of blood petals. If you've played through even the, the little bit of Diablo 4, you know what happens after that. But anyway, so here's what's written on Wowhead. It's a long-standing tradition for players to study every detail in a new game, from any languages you can see, to finding Easter eggs, to connecting and creating massive timelines of events spanning decades of franchise entries. With the world of Sanctuary being so beloved, Diablo 4 is no different, and some players have made a massive discovery that allowed them to translate the written language the Cathedral of Light uses. In a Reddit thread, user u slash theory of n revealed that they and several other players from the not finding a cow level discord server were able to translate the Cathedral of Light script using a key found in the collector's art book. Once the cipher was broken, it was clear. The Cathedral of Light apparently really has a thing for werewolves. And there is a picture in here of the coding and how it shakes out to the letters of the alphabet we would understand. So yeah, some of this is saying werewolf, some of it is saying werewoe. Sometimes it says werewolf multiple times in a row um, and has some variation of those as well. Affectionately called the script Loreth Ipsum, Loreth Ipsum. <laughs> the intrepid translators discover that nearly every instance of writing related to the Cathedral of Light is simply the word werewolf written over and over again. It seems that Blizzard really liked the way the script looked, so they just kept using it. While we understand the sheer amount of work it would have taken to have had actual coherent and translatable words on the cathedral assets around Sanctuary, we can't help be a little disappointed. After all, how interesting would it have been for secret lore to be hiding in the walls of Anarius' sanctum? What we do know, however, is that the cathedral just really, really likes dogs. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Werewolf. Okay. <laughs> That's kind of funny. Some of you know who Wolfcryer is, and in Diablo 3, every time there was a new season coming up, he was organizing streamers to uh, raise money for different very good causes for charities. And so this is what he wrote on Twitter on July 6th. He wrote, attention, Diablo 4 streamers. The longest running Diablo community charity event is back now. 
through the first week of season one. Stream as many days as you want. It's quick. It's easy. We use the Tiltify. We use Tiltify, so you don't have to worry about handling any money. And I'm always available to help. And there's a wonderful graphic in here. Level with the cause, a little shield, and some uh, axes coming out of the shield. Attention, Diablo 4 streamers. Level with the cause needs you. While you're enjoying the launch of season one in Diablo 4, help us raise some money for... Uh, save the children and uh, let's make it let's make this the biggest level with the cause event ever now through the first week of season one in Diablo 4 and it's not affiliated with Blizzard Entertainment or save the children they're just raising money that's what they're doing so it's a good idea it's a good cause if you want to do it and you're a streamer I highly recommend it I don't stream um, so I'm probably not going to do it but I would guess that other people will it's generally something that people do and push really hard through to get as much money for whatever good cause it is this month um, or the, you know, the next time around. And it's always for like children's charities and things like that. So it's a good cause if you want to get into that or if you want to like watch a streamer do it and like, you know, give them something, I guess. There is a Diablo4Blizzard.com page titled Diablo 4 Season of the Malignant. It starts on July 30. There is a countdown clock as to when this is going to be there, there is a button that says Upgrade Battle Pass. I'm not going to do that right now because, again, as I kind of referenced as the first article in this episode, it doesn't play on a Mac so far. So there we are. So here's some things to know about. There is a video. It's an announcement trailer you can look at. If you were on Twitter, you've probably seen it. A dire threat emerges. A new form of Lilith's corruption has spread throughout Sanctuary, creating malignant monsters that roam the land, overtaken with this infectious turmoil, minds lost and killing at random. Only you can fight back and harness the power of this twisted corruption to uncover the source of the malignance and put it to an end. There's a little bit more about that. I'm going to open up here and see if there's like a lot of news here. There is. There's a whole page here. Okay. Uh, malignance runs rampant in D the first season of Diablo 4, written on, posted on J July 6th. Well-met, Wanderer. Corruption has befallen Sanctuary in the season of the Malignant, the first season of Diablo 4. On July 20 at 10 a.m. PDT, a new season journey, questline, boss, dungeons, battle pass, and more will go live. We'll give you a preview below. On July 18, we'll release another article shedding even more light on what's coming with the new season, including six new unique items and seven legendary aspects. Here's the theme. A deviant form of Lilith's sinister machinations has given birth to a new threat, malignant monsters. These decaying abominations roam sanctuary in a frenzy, mindlessly attacking anyone in range without hesitation. Wanderers will investigate this mysterious malady in a new quest line with the help of Cormund, a former priest of the Cathedral of Light who also trains you to capture the malignant hearts, fueling these foul beasts and convert them into build-altering powers. The malignancy that's taken hold of the Burning Hell's armies cannot remain unchecked. You must snuff it out at the source before all of Sanctuary becomes its thrall. And there is the video in there as well. To keep up with the relentless animosity of malignant monsters, you will need to turn their hearts against them. Slaying partly corrupted enemies, a type of malignant monster, will drop a malignant heart. These can be captured by performing a ritual with the Cage of Binding, an item acquired during the season's questline. Partly corrupted enemies are an 
an unruly sort and won't go down easily. Trying to capture the heart will cause the party, the partly corrupted enemy, to be reborn as a fully corrupted enemy. If defeated, these amalgamations will rot. Of rot will drop a version of the malignant heart that can be placed into special infested sockets in your jewelry in place of a normal gem. Our first season will introduce 32 malignant hearts across four categories that provide new unique bonuses. As you encounter more menacing malignant creatures, so too will the strength of their malignant hearts grow. There's much more to share on the season's theme that we can't, and we cannot wait to do so in the future. So it just goes from there. How season seasonal characters work. Now this is something if you've played Diablo 3, you know how seasonal characters work. But it's not exactly the same in Diablo 4. So here's some things you need to know. To participate in seasons, a new character must be made on the seasonal realm. You do not need to purchase a battle pass or any add-ons to play the seasonal content, but you must have completed the campaign on either the Eternal or Seasonal Realm with at least one character. Once you have completed the campaign, any seasonal character will start the game with the option to skip the campaign, your mount available immediately, I'm assuming if you have one. Um, all pre previously discovered altars of Lilith unlocked and the corresponding renown for them. All previously discovered areas of the map revealed and the corresponding renown for them. Once the season has ended, the character you made and its progress will be transferred to the Eternal Realm. And uh, all items you collected, including in your seasonal stash, will be transferred too. You can take this character into Sanctuary whenever you please, but season-specific features such as the Malignant Hearts will no longer be accessible. Here's their belief behind Seasons. Seasons provide us with an opportunity to introduce innovative gameplay mechanics into Sanctuary for a limited time. Because Seasons reset, we can create crazy, fun season themes in a vacuum without needing to worry about balancing it with the mechanics introduced in past or future seasons. We start from a strong Eternal Realm baseline and build on top of it. Seasons are also a place for players to explore and tinker. We encourage you to try a new class or different builds for a class you've grown fond of. Our Seasons our chance to get creative while demolishing demons. Additionally, seasons present an equal playing field. Our seasons are designed for new characters to conquer the nightmarish challenges brought by a season's theme and to progress through the season journey, seasonal journey together. However, there is a battle pass. And there's a part here that says earn rewards with the season journey and battle pass. And it's an in-game battle pass. This isn't, um, it's kind of like everything else. It's got a screenshot here for a number of different portions of it's sort of like you know the diablo 3 one but it's got some extras i think and uh, it tells you like you know the hangman's garden collect gala wine found nearly anywhere and you can get a reward for that it goes on from there yeah you can, as you're hunting down the source of the corruption and partnering with corman to discover the source of it you'll earn rewards from the season journey and the battle pass the season journey is broken into chapters with tax tasks to complete I know most of you listening already know that kind of thing, but if you're new, you wouldn't know that and you wouldn't have known that you need to make a new character for this. As you progress through the journey, you'll earn rewards benefiting Sanctuary's Defender, such as a new as new legendary aspects, a mastery title, and a scroll of amnesia, which provides a free skill tree and paragon board reset. The journey also provides favor, the resource used to climb through the battle passes tiers, which is also earned naturally by playing the game, whether it be killing demons completing quests and more there's also in the shop has some hellish looks for you if you'd care to buy those there's a recap of the live stream you can connect to in here and uh, that's a lot of stuff 
That's a lot of stuff for season one. I'm hoping it goes as well as uh, they expected. There are, and the thing that I started with here, you know, there's a new quest line. There's a new power with the malignant hearts. There's a new boss battle and there's new gear. So there's a lot of stuff in here. There are free rewards just by playing the game. Um, you can get a seasonal title to show off the only thing that the only thing more frightening than the malignants is you with the eldritch monster title. And there's clothing and weapons and transmogs and season blessings and all kinds of stuff going on. So it's kind of interesting. Um, so here's compare battle passes because there are three of these. I did not realize that, but that is what they are. So the free battle pass has an asterisk on it, and it says license to copy of Diablo 4 required, which makes sense. How would you play this if you didn't have a copy of Diablo 4? So uh, what you get in that one is you start with, apparently start with 20 smoldering ashes and 27 tiers on the free track, including smoldering ashes, armor transmogs, titles, and more. If you want to upgrade to the premium battle pass, you get all of those, uh, those two things uh, that I just mentioned. But you also get 63 tiers on the premium track, including armor transmogs, weapons, skins, emotes, emotes, and more. And... Cord Iron Armor Set for each class, base plus Awoken versions. Warded Mustang Mount, base plus Awoken versions. And Cord, cord Iron Barding Armor, Mount Armor, base plus Awoken versions. If you want what they're claiming is the best value, you want the Accelerated Battle Pass, which gives you all of those things I've mentioned, 20 tier skips, and an On the Warpath emote. So what I'm seeing here is, it looks like, the, the free battle pass is actually free. You can just go ahead and do that if, obviously, if you're playing Diablo 4, you know, you can't do it without the game. The premium one gives you a little bit more, and then if you want everything all the time, you can get the accelerated battle pass for what they're saying is best value. There are buttons here on this website that is centered on PCs, so, you know, you can upgrade you know, one to the next there and, and all of that. And honestly, for me personally, I'm just going to go with the lower rank one, see if I like it, you know, and how easy it is or hard it is for me to get through it. And then I'll know if I want to actually pay for it later. Cause how do I know, you know, unless you try it. So there's some uh, frequently asked questions in here. Uh, how do I access the season content? Do I need a battle pass to play? The answer is, once the season starts, log into the game, create a new seasonal character, and enjoy. If you have not completed the campaign yet, you will need to complete it on one character to gain access to seasonal content. So that's a thing as well. I just started Act 2, okay? So, I don't know. I mean, I can really, like, grind it out and get all the way through with one character, and maybe that'll be enough, but I'm not sure. If, if it's... I think if someone has noticed a lot of streamers playing d4 and decided yeah i want to try this i don't know that they're going to make it all the way through the the content before they can actually get into the season and i think that's going to be off-putting for some people uh what happens to my character prog slash progression after the season ends that character is transferred to the Eternal Realm. You can play this character whenever you want in the Eternal Realm. Specific season-only features will no longer be accessible in the Eternal Realm. There you are. How can I progress through the Battle Pass? What is favor? Uh, you progress through the Battle Pass by earning favor. You earn favor by just playing the game. Example, killing monsters, completing campaign and side quests, or completing objectives in your season journey. You can also progress through the Battle Pass by buying tier skips. Buying tier skips, which cost 200 platinum. What does things cost in Diablo Immortal? Platinum, if I remember correctly. 
What are smoldering ashes? Those are currency used in the battle pass to earn specific bonuses known as season's blessings for the current season. Players can earn smoldering ashes by progressing the battle pass. By collecting smoldering ashes, you can apply bonuses to your seasonal characters. These bonuses last for the season and only apply to seasonal characters. What are tier skips? Tier skips are a currency that are applied immediately to obtain one full tier in the battle pass. And here's the last uh, question in here. I pre-purchased the Digital Deluxe or Ultimate Edition, which came with the Battle Pass. How do I redeem it for Season 1? If you've pre-purchased a Battle Pass, the Purchase button in the Season section will be replaced by an option to activate either your Premium or Accelerated Battle Pass. And that's the end of that. That's a lot of stuff. I'm not really sure how this is going to work out. Most of us probably have no idea how this is going to work out because we haven't tried it yet. We'll know after season one how things work or do not work, and I guess that's how it's going to go. Icy Veins has an article titled, Let's Talk About It. Is the Season of the Malignant Good Enough? Written by Aaron Action RPG. Does talk about the battle pass. There's pictures here of the armor and the mount you can get, I guess. They require you to purchase the premium battle passes, though, so if you're not going to spend money on it, you're not going to get those. It depends on how much you care about it, right? So um, there's a part here. Uh, let's talk about it. Is this enough for players? So I basically said what the other things were in the last couple things I was talking about. So here's a couple paragraphs from Icy Veins about this. On an initial impression, without being able to play and see the actual depth of to the new system, I would give it a pass. A decent B+. I think Blizzard is listening. I think they are trying to get the game to a place where the overall player base is happy with the basic gameplay loop. As for the seasonal mechanic, I could see the potential in it. Maybe it will, it will blow my mind when I finally get to dig in and make new builds. Maybe it won't. There's, there is potential this seasonal mechanic is shallow and doesn't offer enough to bring any new variation into the game. However, I have high hopes for the new system. As for some of the other components that might be included in the season of the Malignant, I don't think any of them are particularly exciting. Ladders could be fun, but will be dominated by the 12 to 16 hour a day players. Who's doing this? <laughs> Who's playing Diablo 4 12 to 16 hours every day? Maybe some streamers? But I don't think all of them would. That's just my opinion, but that's what this says in this article here. To continue, and I expect will only be talked about for the first couple of weeks in a season similar to Diablo 3. Okay, that part's fair. As for the quality of life elements, Blizzard has a long way to go still. There was barely any talk about stashes outside of agreeing it's a problem. The Renown system is the same, with some accomplishments being carried over from launch, but acknowledged nothing will be changed. Also, changes are coming to how we can respect without clicking everything single node on your Paragon tree. Again, a good example of listing, but they are still, quote, working on it. And then there's something about a new tier and all of this stuff. So you can read the rest of that if you'd like to. Again, everything will be in the show notes. And Max Roll has a thing about Diablo 4 Season 1, Season of the Malignant. starts July 20, pre-patch, QOL, and more. This is written by Dreadscythe, who does these things so incredibly well. It's always entertaining to read something that Dreadscythe has written about a Diablo game because he just gets in depth with this and it's it's just wonderful to read. I'll give you a little bit of this in here. There's there's a lot. Um, I've seen him write more. I've seen him write less. But this is this is detailed. So if you want one thing that's going to tell you 
really everything you need to know about season one. I strongly suggest you read Dread Sight's article on Max Roll because he knows what he's doing. He's really good at that. He's got all the information that I've said. Uh, the seasonal story, there's some stuff in there. Uh, there's a seasonal theme, how to get a malignant heart. There's a whole directional thing in here you can check out. Of course, he's written this down much better than I'm explaining. So go look at that. Um, there are 32 malignant hearts that are separated into four different types. Three types will be a socket for socket color specific, with the fourth type being open to any socket. When a socket rolls on a piece of gear by drop by via the jewelry of via the jewelry, a random color will be assigned. They will unlock major new ways to play and empower current builds and open up other builds. Hearts can be replaced in your gear but not removed. So just be aware of that. Um, there's different colors. There's a boss battle. Varshan the Consumed. Really gory looking thing. Um, might be undead. I don't know. Uh, there's not a lot of information on that one according to Dread Scythe. There is a picture of the season journey thing in here and other stuff. So yeah, and then there's the Battle Pass. So the season of the Malignant Battle Pass hosts 90 tiers, 27 free tiers, and 63 premium tiers. Smoldering Ashes are earned from the free tiers, which can be spent on season's blessings that provide you with a bonus to earning experience, gold, or obols. Those are in-game currency. Depending on the blessing you choose, the bonuses gained from season blessings only last until the season of the Malignant ends. If you get the premium battle pass, not only will the rewards of the free tiers uh, will be yours to wield as you choose, but Awoken Armor sets, Mount and Mount Armor, Platinum, and more await you. So it depends on how much money you want to spend, basically, or choose to spend. It just depends. And there's a lot more in here. So I highly recommend checking out anything Dread Scythe writes about Diablo 4, because he's really good at this. Wowhead has a Diablo 4 Season 1 wishlist written three days ago by Varid. All right, here's a little bit from this article. Meaningful balance changes. Just recently, patch 1.0.3 brought the first wave of meaningful Diablo 4 class changes. However, the majority of adjustments made with Diablo's first big patch has left a lot of class issues unresolved, like barbarians depending on shout skills to get going in any capacity, or sorcerers relying on all four defensive skills to have at least somewhat of a chance to survive in a higher tier nightmare dungeon. Feature-rich seasonal content. Compared to what we've ever seen in Diablo 3, the bar for what is considered a, quote, fun and engaging amount, end quote, of seasonal content is a lot higher nowadays. Over the last few years, other ARPGs have shown what players should expect from a Diablo 4 season based on the development team's live service approach. There is a little graphic in here. In the middle, it says seasonal content. There's a picture, like a very dim picture of Lilith with her wings unfurled behind this graphic. So seasonal content's in the center of this circle. At the top, it says seasonal quest line, fresh gameplay, long-term progression, quality of life, customization, and aspirational challenges. Um, so there's a little bit about that. The stash tabs, that's, that's a thing. Stash tabs, stash tabs, stash tabs, says this part of the article. With a total of four tabs and 200 item slots available, Diablo 4's current stash space is just too small. Players not only can, but totally want to play multiple builds with one character, but for that, they need stash space for their different gear loadouts. And not only that, the fact that both consumables and aspects also take away inventory space as well, parentheses, why are extracted aspects items after all? 
Why are okay? Uh, end of parentheses. Turns the addition of stash tabs, whether it might be a paid service or not, into one of the most pressing issues to solve in Diablo 4 right now. Inventory and stash text search. It's very clear that Diablo 4 has been developed for both PC and console play. However, the complete lack of text search functionalities in every single part of the interface should unsettle even the average Diablo console. Uh, Consolero? I don't probably consolero. I don't know what this word is, but I think they meant console player. Uh, why do we need to hover over every single item, nightmare sigil, aspect, or paragon glyph to find out what it is or does? Let's search and filter things. Uh, let us search and filter things, Blizzard. Then there's the completion tracker for quests, the cosmetics that you can get within season one. Um, the community has voiced concerns regarding the overall visual appeal of Diablo 4's current shop cosmetics. Based on statements made by the development team, the se seasonal battle pass will include two full cosmetic armor sets per class, so we hope to see several high-quality and flavorful shop sets that are, worth, that are truly worth to unlock during battle pass progression. Um, there's some mount system things, some loot filters, this kind of thing. It's... Pretty reasonable things to ask for. Pure Diablo has an article titled Seasonally Casual written by Gazarik. And this is going from the campfire chat that was not long ago. Uh, so some things to know from this one, just real quick. Nothing is lost. Starting a season with a new character is nowhere near as bad as some would have you believe. First and foremost, it's important that everyone is aware that playing a seasonal character is optional. It's understandable that there would be some confusion about this, especially considering the, considering the recent publication of news articles with titles as such as All Your Hard Work Won't Matter When Season 1 Starts. The truth is that none of what has been accomplished in the game since launch will ever be lost. Players who would prefer to continue their current game in the non-seasonal Eternal Realm mode do so for as long as may do so for as long as they wish. It's also true that future expansions, such as unlocking additional regions in Sanctuary, should affect both the Eternal and Seasonal Realm simultaneously. However, players who wish to experience seasonal content, such as new quests, objectives, balance changes, and rewards, will be required to create at least one new character on a separate seasonal roster, which seems fair. Seasonal characters will not have to comply, uh, completely start over from scratch. There will be several time savers built into the start of the season, including the following. So here's some of the following. The option to skip the campaign entirely, provided it was already completed at uh, by at least one non-seasonal character. A portion of the renown points already earned in the Eternal Realm will carry over into the season. That means all new seasonal characters will potentially start with five skill points and five additional health potion charges right off the bat. It will not be necessary to rediscover the map because all the areas that have been that have already been revealed will remain visible to seasonal characters. Using way, including waypoints. All that would be required is to travel to the waypoints to reactivate them. That's not hard. All rewards from the Altars of Lilith will carry over and the locations will be visible on the map. The only purpose for reactivating them during the season would be to gain the XP from doing so. The optional battle pass available in both free and paid versions is specifically designed to expedite game progression and is available only to seasonal characters. And let's not also forget about the mount, which should be available to all your seasonal characters right from the start. Okay, that's a little bit more helpful because I don't have a mount yet. Like I said, I just got into chapter two. So maybe if I play the season, I'll have a mount at least for that amount of time. There's a lot more in here to look at if you want to take a look at it. Here's another interesting thing from Icy Veins. It's called The Largest Butcher Ever. So this is written by Starum, I think it's pronounced. Uh, the boogeyman of Dungeons and Cellars is back quite literally bigger than ever. 
Ironheart underscore 777 and their friend ran into a particularly giant butcher in a nightmare dungeon, not really knowing why or what was happening. And what was happening is pretty interesting. So there's a screenshot here with uh, the character from this player standing there. And the butcher is huge. Not just big because he's the butcher, but like huge, huge. And he wrote, so um, anyone know why we found a giant butcher? He appeared this big. It's just huge, huge, huge butcher. And it, it is big. It didn't take Reddit too long to figure out what was happening. It's a pretty interesting theory, as Swiss Army Wolf laid it out. Apparently, the dungeon had the Avenger Apex, which increases both the damage and size of monsters near others that are killed. Yep. That's right, the Butcher is an Avenger now. Normally, you wouldn't spot the size changes as they're pretty minor on small monsters, but when they're big, well, you know. But it's even more hilarious than that as the big guy came out this size. He didn't get bigger as they fought him, and that means he was just sitting nearby as the players killed many monsters, continuously getting bigger and bigger, only to ambush them when he was this huge. It's interesting to know that the Butcher may be with us in our dungeons for a while before he actually shows up, stalking us from the shadows. His boogeyman status just got a lot more accurate, it seems. So that's kind of a hysterical thing to run into. Going back to Wowhead, they had an article, um, maybe last week, maybe a week before, about someone in Asia, I don't remember which country it was, that had the grandfather sword drop. It was all in kanji, and I couldn't obviously couldn't read that because I don't know how to read kanji, but it happened again. The grandfather sword dropped again, this time in North America. So there's a picture here of the item and the description of the item, the grandfather Ancestral unique two-handed sword, 820 item power. Uh, less than a week out from the world first from the world first grandfather sword confirmed drop. We have seen our first the grandfather in the North American region. Reddit user u slash uka123 has dropped their very own on their necromancer. The grandfather was likely found in a nightmare dungeon, although the previous one had been found in a Helltide event chest. The grandfather is considered best in slot for many builds including the popular Whirlwind Barbarian build. The comments in the Reddit post included many jokes about salvaging the item for its appearance, as well as jokes about the original poster using up all their RNG for the remainder of their mortal life. The most interesting part about this drop is that it requires level 78. This makes it a little more valuable than the previous one, which required level 100 to use. It also allows the owner of the item to use it on alts for that intense 78 to 100 grind. Undoubtedly, this is going to create more hype for those still grinding away in sanctuary for their first chase in unique our advice to them would keep your expectations sheathed as the drop chances have been known to be notoriously low and i've got a bunch of stuff here from max roll if you're interested echo hack put in the bone spear necromancer end game build guide on july 5th and he seems to know a lot about this so i would recommend if you want to play a necromancer maybe even in the season coming up take a look at this. There's just all these details and things like that. There's also one from McFluffin of the Lightning Storm Druid Endgame Build Guide that was updated today. So he's got that in there. Depends on what class you want to play, I suppose, as to which of these you're going to want to look at. Dioxide has Flurry Rogue Endgame Build Guide, also uh, updated today. 
And there's a Meteor Sorcerer Endgame build guide by Snail that was updated on July 5th. So if any of those classes seem like something you want to play in the season or just try out off-season, I recommend Max Roll because these guys know what they're doing. That's where I'm going to end the show. I've been talking for a while now. It's really exciting to me that there's just so much Diablo 4 stuff to talk about, which is a lot more interesting, I would think, than watching the FTC try to fight Microsoft. Although I'll bring that in if anything new comes up. But yeah, this is starting to get good, y'all. It's starting to get good. And with that, I'm going to close out the show. You have been listening to episode 418 of the Shattered Soulstone, your Diablo community podcast. Missed an episode? You can find the, blo- the show blog and listen to the show archives at www.shatteredsoulstone.com. Come join us in-game. Our in-game community and clan, both named Shattered Soulstone, are open to anyone who would like to join. You can also join us on Discord for the ultimate team and community-based experience. Find the Discord invitation link on our Twitter and Facebook page, as well as the Shattered Soulstone website. Thank you for listening. <laughs>